Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Today's show is brought to you by OnPay, the new standard in payroll. You can pay employees and contractors in minutes, automate your payroll taxes and filings, as well as provide health benefits and HR in all 50 states. For more information, visit buildingthefutureshow.com slash onpay. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Rahul Bora. He's the founder and CEO of Superhuman. Rahul, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm pumped to have you on the show. I've been actually using Superhuman now for a few months, loving the product. But maybe before we get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and uh, start off with where you grew up. Absolutely. So I grew up, uh, if you couldn't tell already from my accent, in the United Kingdom. And over in the UK, I lived in many different places. So most recently Cambridge, but then before that Birmingham, Manchester, and lots of Scotland, Aberdeen, Dundee, Glasgow, and Edinburgh. Wow. That's very cool. So you went to university. What did you take and why? Well, I had been programming computers since I was about eight years old, and it quickly grew into my passion. I would spend many hours every single evening just programming computers. Uh, And 10 years later, I went to school at the University of Cambridge, where I studied computer science, because I really wanted to take this self-taught knowledge that I had and and turn it into something that had a real foundation behind it. I even stayed on to start a PhD in computer science. This was in machine learning and computer vision and pattern recognition, way before any of those things were cool or even feasible. Uh, but as is perhaps cliche, I ultimately dropped out to become a founder. Okay, interesting. So walk us through your career up until Superhuman, because you've done a ton of stuff. You've sold a company. Walk us through that journey. Sure. So shortly after I dropped out of university to become a founder, I started a company called Reporters. This was back in 2010. And we built the first Gmail plugin to scale to millions of users. Sure. When people emailed you, we showed... Oh, fantastic. Well, I, I love the product. I was so sad when you guys got bought, but, but keep going. Sorry. <laughs> well, you know, I, I can say this. Acquisitions are hard and <laughs> we tried really hard and LinkedIn tried really hard. And I'm pleased to say uh, that it survived for a really long time. It did, yeah. It's still active even to this day, 10 years later, uh, and that is a rare outcome for acquisitions indeed. Uh, But to get back to the story, like this thing quickly scaled to millions of users. So as you know, when people emailed you, we showed you what they looked like, where where they're based, where they worked, their recent tweets, links to their social profiles, and we grew really fast, and two years later, we were acquired by LinkedIn. Now, during those four years, I developed a very intimate view of email. I could see Gmail becoming worse every single year. 
becoming more cluttered, using more memory, consuming more CPU, slowing down your machine, and bizarrely still not working properly offline. And then on top of this, people were installing plugins like ours, Reportive, but also Boomerang, Mixmax, Clearbit, yeah. you name it, they had it. And you've probably used all of these too. Yeah. Now, each plugin took these problems of clutter, of memory, of CPU, of performance, of offline, and made all of them dramatically worse. So we decided in 2014, it was time for change. We imagined an email experience that's blazingly fast, where searches are instantaneous, and where every interaction happens in 100 milliseconds or less. An email experience where you never have to touch the mouse, where you could do everything from the keyboard and fly through your inbox. An email experience that just works offline so you could be productive from anywhere. An email experience that had the best Gmail plugins built in natively and yet somehow was still subtle, minimal, and visually gorgeous. And with all of that, we built Superhuman. Very cool. So walk us through the early days of actually deciding to go for it. Because at some point, obviously, you decided to start building this thing. And, and I agree with you. Gmail over the years has become, like you said, kind of this bloated, bloated thing. So walk us through the actual decision to start building this thing. Well, in the first year or two of Superhuman, I interviewed thousands of people about their email. Wow. And I found that we are afflicted by three major problems. Number one, Gmail is dangerously slow. Number two, it breaks at high volume. And number three, it does not categorize email usefully. And I can talk to each of those. Before sure. I jump in, okay. these things that you resonate with, like you, did you feel Gmail becoming slow over the last 10 years? Oh, for sure. Like I, I got to the point where I almost like sometimes would take two weeks getting back to someone, not because... I didn't want to get back to somebody. It's just, I, I just hated using email. <laughs> I, I totally hear you. And that was one of the, the key things that we are solving in Superhuman is, is not just the speed, but actually making it a fun place to be. Yeah. And in the story of my uh, career just there, I actually skipped the part where I was a video game designer and I used to design video games professionally. And a lot of how we build Superhuman is as if it's a video game but i'm getting ahead of myself so okay. back Keep to your going. question which is like uh, sure. how did we how did we figure this out well i interviewed thousands of people about their email and it, it's dangerously slow and gmail opening an email can take a second searches can take many seconds and as you know it's not the seconds themselves that actually matter it's how they massively increase risk of distraction because yeah. each second exponentially increases the chance that our mind wanders and then you know what we check another tab or we look at our phone and it turns out that these interruptions are hugely disruptive it takes us on average 23 minutes to recover from an interruption and so we meticulously crafted superhumans so that every interaction takes place in 100 milliseconds or less searches are instantaneous and as a result you don't get interrupted you don't get those 23 minutes every single time an interruption happens interesting no that's 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 super smart so you you mentioned the other verticals do you want to cover each one of those 
Yeah, I think that might be interesting. So this first thing is speed. The second thing is volume. So like you, I get hundreds of emails a day. On some days, I get thousands of emails. And quite a few of these need a similar response. And this is where Gmail doesn't really work at high volume. So for example, when a superhuman customer introduces me to somebody else who wants the product, I then have to do six things. Number one, move the sender to BCC. Number two, say, thank you, Kevin, moving you to BCC. Number three, saying, hey, other person, can you please fill out the survey? Number four, CCing our head of sales. Number five, CCing my executive assistant. And finally, number six, BCCing our CRM. Now, I have to do this hundreds of times a week. And in Gmail, that takes five minutes every single time. Now, in Superhuman, using features that as a user, you'll be familiar with things like the ability to move the sender to uh, BCC instantaneously, snippets to write out the whole email. I can do this in three keystrokes and it takes just a few seconds. No, I 100% agree with you. I, I think it's interesting, like, I guess it, it sometimes it's hard for people to, to kind of comprehend, and I would even kind of put myself in the same boat, is you don't think about these things until you have them available and then they're taken away from you. And, and the perfect example is I even just like uh, tried going back to uh, a previous email client I was using before I started using your product just to see. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm curious. I, I want to try it for like a day. And you're right. Like it's just you almost don't realize how important and how game-changing and time-saving something is until you go back and, and try try kind of the old way of doing things, right? Indeed. And this was a core part of my investment pitch when I was raising money for Superhuman. I actually had two examples that are exactly like that. One was about visual design, which you would appreciate, and another was about speed. Right. So let me ask you this. Do you remember the iPhone 3GS? Yep, had one. <laughs> and you remember the iPhone 4 with the yep. Retina display, right? Yep. And I don't know if you remember this feeling, but when I got my iPhone 4 and I looked at a 3GS and the difference was the Retina screen, yep. it literally felt like my eyes were broken. Yep. I was like, what are these dots? Is there something like, did the universe <laughs> just break here? What's going on? And it's, it's that sense when you're used to something that's incredible, going back to anything previously is it's almost untenable. Another example, and this was specifically geared at the investment community here in Silicon Valley, where, where as you know, Tesla's a really big deal. It's a very right. common car choice amongst venture capitalists. I would ask them, hey, what's your car? And invariably they would say, oh, I have a Tesla. And I would say, well, you know that feeling when you smash the pedal down and you go naught to 60 in 2.9 seconds and they're, they're nodding vigorously. They're like, yeah, I, I know that feeling. And I'm like, well, would you ever go back to a normal car, a normal gasoline geared car? And they're like, no, I would never do that. Why would I do that? And I'm like, well, that is how people feel like after using superhuman. Like, and you, you just wouldn't go back to a normal, regular speed email client. No, I, I 100% agree with you yeah and like i would put myself in in that boat as well it's interesting right um so i'm curious though you mentioned a couple other verticals do you do you want to cover the the last few yeah so the last one was about email categorization gmail does not 
categorize email usefully. So we're probably all too familiar with the Gmail categories, primary, social, forums, updates, and so on. And these work fine for a mass market consumer, but not for a prosumer for whom email is work. For example, imagine you're working down the primary category in email. One email might be about recruiting, the next might be about customer support, the next might be about engineering. And in engineering parlance, we have a term for this, we call it context switch overhead. And for humans, context switches are almost as derailing as interruptions. So in other words, as you go down your Gmail inbox, you are constantly being interrupted by the software itself. Now in Superhuman, if you use the split inbox feature, you'll know that you can split your email into different work streams that match your day. For example, I do all my recruiting in one go, then I do all my customer support, and then I do all my engineering work, and I have my inbox structured to mirror my day, and it turns out that no matter what job you do, I happen to be a founder and a CEO, but it doesn't really matter what the role is, you can structure your inbox to optimally mirror your day, which is not something that Gmail or for that matter, Outlook can do. No, it's interesting because at first I was kind of, I missed the kind of unified inbox and and why how I say that is I used to forward all my different email accounts into my like personal Gmail account because the just personal Gmail accounts have the most amount of features, right? And then I would just allow to be able to send from that same thing. So I didn't have to have like a hundred tabs. Oh, well, not a hundred, but at, at some point I had, or at one point I had like eight or nine email addresses and you'd have eight or nine kind of Gmail tabs. And so do you want to talk about how you guys have kind of unified everything into one interface it's kind of a next level of what you just described like i broke everything out per email address into the different verticals that of my day or, or categories or, or groups of emails but you guys have also solved the bigger problem of having you know five six eight plus email addresses sure so one of the things that people often don't understand when they first encounter superhuman is why we don't support a unified inbox, and that is merging all of your potentially disparate email streams into one stream. And, and the idea is what I just said. It's avoiding context switch overhead. Right. We've really built Superhuman for the people for whom email is work and work is email. And those people tend to have one or two primary work email accounts and in those accounts, it's super important for them to stay at inbox zero, to respond to important email quickly, or else they would block their team, lose deals, or otherwise damage their reputation. And so perhaps unsurprisingly, over 60% or so of our customers, their founders, their CEOs, their leaders, you know, we're happy to have folks like the CEO of Spotify, the CEO of Reddit, Sophia right. Amorosa, the CEO of Goldboss. And these are people for whom that context switch jumping between accounts would just be, uh, it would be untenable to, to use my previous phrase. They wouldn't be able to get through their email efficiently. And so what we've done is we've built this user interface and the software that helps them get through their email efficiently. And now most of them are actually able to get through their inbox about twice as fast as before. And many of them are seeing inbox zero for the first time in years. 
No, a hundred percent. Right. And then obviously when, when I moved, I, I kind of separated them all out and, and put them in. Cause you guys have the, the short, like the shortcuts and I want to get into that more in a second, but being able to just focus on, you know, my, my work email and sit in that inbox all day, obviously I can jump to the other ones quickly, but when my problem before is to what you said is like, I had everything coming into my one Gmail, my work, my personal, everything, it was distracting. Right. And sure. If I needed to go check my personal email during the day, I, I can, but just being able to like focus when I need to focus. And to your point, like you don't, I think people don't realize how long it takes to get back into what you're doing, especially if you're busy or you're in a technical role or what you're doing requires a lot of thought and effort and you you kind of get this email or a funny email from your friend that's completely irrelevant you're like well I could have checked that later tonight right and keeping that out of your inbox is fundamentally has really sped up my work day fantastic to hear and you're right this is widely misunderstood it is not the amount of time that it takes to check the funny email it's what it does to your brain chemistry over the next half an hour and the average time to recover from checking that email turns out to be 23 minutes and 15 seconds it's the the thought processes and the the chain reactions that it, it sets forth in your brain you may not even be cognizantly aware of what is happening, but it is for sure happening. And so the power of focus avoids that problem. It lets you stay on task and avoid context switch overhead. No, totally. The other really powerful thing that I, I think, uh, I, I know some other kind of superhuman uh, users that have used the product actually longer than I have. And I was just, and, and I knew your interview was kind of coming up and I, I thought I was asking them, and, and I'd watch them how they use the product. And I love the shortcuts. I, I think what you guys have done with, with the shortcuts and search and, and whatnot is actually really quite brilliant. And I've seen some people kind of half use them, not use them at all. And they, they still love the product, whether they use them or not. But I think some of the real power and speed of Superhuman uh, is, is the shortcuts. So do you want to talk about why you built them the way you did and, and why you think actually leveraging that can really speed up you checking and, and getting back to people in email. Absolutely. And the, the core reason here is because if you truly want to be a power user of computers, you want to do things as fast as possible and you're on your laptop or you're on your desktop, there is no faster way than doing it from the keyboard. So we designed Superhuman so you can do everything from the keyboard. You never have to touch the mouse. And that's a big part of how the average Superhuman user gets through their inbox twice as fast as before. To use an example from earlier, take the BCC dance. You get an email introduction, and the polite thing to do is to move the sender to BCC so you don't continue to send them emails on the same thread. Now, in Gmail or in any other email client, that would be about 10 clicks and a lot of dragging and dropping, and you'd probably get frustrated. In Superhuman, it's just one keyboard shortcut. Now, you might be thinking, that's all well and cool, but I'm not a keyboard shortcut person. How do I learn these? Well, we built a solution to that as well, and that is Superhuman Command. So if you don't know a keyboard shortcut, all you have to do is hit Command-K and type in what you're thinking of doing. 
In this instance, it would be hit command K, and that's the one shortcut you have to remember. And then you type in introduction. And then immediately you see the introduction command. We actually call it instant intro. And you also see the shortcut so that next time you don't have to hit command K, you can just hit the shortcut. And that's how we are making this traditionally power user idea of shortcuts accessible to everybody. No, I, I, I love them. I, I, I think they're, they're really great. The other thing that outside of kind of just your, or one of the unique things that I think you guys do at Superhuman that, that kind of blew me away was your onboarding process. Do you want to talk about that? Absolutely. So for those who don't know, for every single new customer, we do a personalized one-to-one -one onboarding. This is a one-to-one -one video call with one of our wonderful onboarding specialists. It's a very concierge approach. And the, it, it's actually kind of like magic. So what we do in this video call is we sit down with you, we ask you a little bit about who you are, how your day works, what your role is, and how, of course, you do your email. We understand your email workflow. We identify areas where you probably don't even know, but you're undermining yourself. You're perhaps going much slower than you otherwise could be. And then we show you how to do your email twice as fast in Superhuman. And I think the thing that's really fascinating about this onboarding approach is no one has ever done this before. Totally. And it's not meant to work. Superhuman costs $30 a month. So every single customer is paying $30 a month. And the idea that for $30 a month, you get to work directly one-to-one -one with a productivity coach, essentially, is previously unheard of. But what we found is that we can make it work because folks become such loyal customers of the product and brand ambassadors for the company. It's actually totally worth our while. And we love doing this in any case to spend time with people to help them get through their email faster. No, totally. Well, the other thing too that happens during that onboarding call is you guys set me up for success based on how I use email, right? So sure, if I just got an invite in my inbox and I, I clicked it and I opened and I started paying, sure, I, I, I could figure it out or watch some video tutorials, but sometimes you need to see somebody else that knows the product tell you, oh, like, did you know that you just did this and you can break these groups of emails into this category? Or like you have somebody that basically teaches you how to use the product in the way that you set up your day or your work or the type of work or the type of person you are, right? And I think no software up until kind of meeting you guys has actually really done that for me is kind of custom built the interface for me based on just like, and set up some general rules for me. Is that fair to say? Yeah. In the business context, I don't think it really has happened. And a lot of the inspiration actually came from Snap or Snapchat. Okay. If you, and and, and I, I say this as someone who I'm not an active user, but I'm an avid student of how, Snap and other consumer social products get adopted and, and how people use them. And the thing that I found fascinating about Snap back in the day is just how obtuse some of the interactions and functionality were. 
yet how enthusiastically people would teach each other about them. And it seemed to me as if there were thousands, perhaps, of features in that product, but that each person maybe only knew about 10, and they were excited to tell you about them. And I thought, wow, that's a really good pattern. And it actually maps perfectly to productivity software. The way that you do your email is going to be different to the way that I do my email. It's going to be different to all of our listeners today. Sure. And a user interface that had all of those things would quickly become cluttered and overwhelming. So what if we made the user interface have none of those things? Well, then it would be minimal, beautiful, gorgeous, and we can have a really friendly productivity expert teach you about just the things that you need to know in order to get to your inbox twice as fast. And so that was really the genesis. Interesting. Today's show is brought to you by OnPay, the new standard in payroll. You can pay employees and contractors in minutes, automate your payroll taxes and filings, as well as provide health benefits and HR in all 50 states. For more information, visit buildingthefutureshow.com slash onpay. So we've talked a lot about kind of the in-browser experience with, with a keyboard, but I've played with the app both on an iPad and uh, iPhone uh, and on a I or iPad, sorry, with and without a keyboard, and I I don't really find it slower not having a keyboard than having a keyboard on on a touchscreen device like like an iPhone. So how did you guys build an interface that you could basically mimic the speed of using a keyboard without a keyboard on your iPhone, for example, because I think you guys did a really good job at that. And that's gotta be, was it probably a really big challenge for you guys? Great question. And we did not get this right from the get go. This took a lot of iteration. And I, I would add that we are by no means done, right? There is plenty of iteration yet to do, but there are a few core principles that were true right from the very beginning. The first is to optimize for single hand gestures. If you look at really busy people, and by definition, our audience is the busiest of people, then they are on the go almost always. Whether that's walking around or in the back of an Uber or Lyft or on a plane somewhere, they're just always on the move, they're always in a rush. And that means that they're often on their phone with one hand. Right. So I don't know if you've noticed, but everything in Superhuman on iOS, you can actually do in one hand. Yeah. Let's take a specific example. Sure. So uh, let, let's say you're in the Gmail iOS app. The button to get back from looking at a thread to looking at the inbox is in the top left-hand side of the screen. Now, 90% of the population is right-handed. That means in order to tap that button, especially as phone sizes keep on increasing, it's either a really awkward stretch, which most people aren't anatomically capable of doing, or it's a two-handed situation, which is kind of crazy for something like email, where you want to be able to triage really quickly on the go. So in Superhuman, all you have to do is swipe anywhere on the screen, even if you have small hands or you have a gigantic phone, and it will take you back to the inbox. Now, when you're on the inbox as a user of Superhuman, you'll know that unlike any other mobile app, the menu isn't at the top, 
isn't on the left, it's actually on the bottom. So with a few quick taps or one flick of the thumb, and it's not an arduous reach at all, you can quickly jump to your scent mail or you can jump to any other parts of the superhuman app. And so those are two examples of how we've completely rethought the traditional conventional layout of a mobile app by removing buttons, by using one-handed gestures, and by putting navigation towards the bottom of your screen where your hands are anyway. No, that, that makes makes total sense. And yeah, like you guys, they are pretty good. Like, And obviously you've iterated on them, but I'm curious, how did you decide as you've been iterating on the platform what to actually try to integrate into the platform? Because obviously you, you guys have been taking feedback from, from your users quite a bit, but how do you decide what to actually try and iterate on, what to keep, what to change, and, and what to add into the platform? We actually have a whole framework around this that I've, I've written about extensively. Our listeners may have come across this idea of product market fit. That's when your product is really resonating with a large market and you then have the raw ingredients for building a fantastic business. And it turns out to be the number one reason why companies succeed. And the lack of product market fit is the number one reason why companies fail. And so finding product market fit turns out to be one of the most important things that new young companies can do. And so I devoted a significant amount of my brain power over the last few years towards figuring out a framework for finding product market fit. And it turns out that you can break it down into two fundamental tasks. Number one is spending half your time doubling down on what people love about the product. And for superhuman, that would be things like the keyboard shortcuts on desktop right. or the single hand gestures on mobile, the speed, the focus, the clarity, and spend the other half of your time systematically overcoming objections that people have with the product. Back in the day, that would be, we didn't have a mobile app. So obviously let's go build a mobile app. And, and that means a whole set of new users can now use your product. Right. And there's a, a detailed framework behind figuring out what goes into the first camp and what goes into the second camp. And for those listeners that are interested in understanding this framework, uh, and there's essentially an algorithm or an engine that you can use to run your product group based on this framework, I'd recommend searching for how Superhuman built a product market fit engine. And there's an essay I wrote upon uh, the first round review journal online. Very cool. No, th that's, that's actually really, really quite interesting. The other thing that I thought you guys did really well that I, I think some companies do, and I wish more companies would do is after I started using the product, after I got onboarded, you guys, well, it, it came from you almost like drip emails that were short and sweet about a feature or, or kind of something that I, I could use to speed up my getting through to, or sorry, getting my inbox to zero. Do you want to talk a little bit about the strategy behind that? Sure. So it's pretty simple, I think, in that we live in an age where our attention is more and more divided 
and at a premium. And most of the marketing emails, especially onboarding emails that I see in products today are far too long. They might be paragraphs long or they link out to an even longer blog post. And frankly, no one has the time to read or absorb that kind of information. So at Superhuman, we have a few very simple rules when it comes to our onboarding emails. They should be at most a few sentences long, and each of them should have a compelling visual, an animated GIF in our case, for how that feature or functionality works. And we send one of these every single day, and each of them talks about a different piece of the product. This drip campaign, if you will, goes on for about 40 or 50 days, and the first month or two of using Superhuman. And it's pretty simple. Whenever we build a new feature or we have a new thing that's worthy of emailing folks about, we simply add it to that campaign. And we hear time and time again, that people love this style of email. It's a personal email. It's written from me. It's not heavily designed. It's not branded. All it has is a few short sentences and a compelling visual for the functionality that you could be using. No, it, they're they're very well done, and I, I just I think like it's it's important to focus on. It's almost like you guys do a bunch of kind of little things that I think people don't necessarily maybe objectively comprehend them, but you add you know ten, twenty, thirty, fifty little things together, it, it makes a really big difference, right? Like to your point, it's like well, if I send you a quick email with an animated GIF of how to do something quicker in superhuman or a new feature, I, I'm, I'm willing to watch that like, you know, five second animated GIF where I, I, if you guys sent me like a link to a video that's three and a half minutes long, I may never watch it just because I forget about it or it's like I don't have time right when I see the video. But most people have that quick second because the GIF's playing already. Like you can already see it. It's like, oh, 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 okay. I, I'll, let me try that quick. And then you try that and then you kind of, Either you decide to keep using that or, or you kind of just move on. But it, it hits you and you're using something or learning something new right away. And then it's kind of done and over with. And I think how rolling out features and, and products like that is actually really interesting. And you're, you're kind of teaching people how to on go use your product without trying to say, we have 100 features. Let's teach you all 100 features today. You're going to teach me about you know, almost like a new feature every day or for the first like month or so that I'm using the product, which I think a lot of companies don't do very well, if at all, these days. It's all too uncommon, unfortunately. But the good news is it's very easy to get started. Sure. If you're already in the habits of emailing folks about new features, which you're adding, which if, if not, you probably should be, then there you have it. Those are the words. That's the collateral and the assets you need. The next thing to do is to take those and to put them into a drip campaign that can go out to new users whenever they sign up or they start using your product. And the cool thing is whenever you release a new feature or a new piece of functionality, you can also just add it to that drip campaign. No, I think that's, that's really good advice. And, and kind of why I wanted to reiterate that is because I think more people could integrate that into their current product without a lot of time and effort, right? And and I think you guys do it really well. So if they needed somebody to kind of like look for some inspiration there, but but I'm curious then, how do people actually get to use Superhuman? Because there's a couple of ways. Well, by far the best way is to receive a referral or an invite 
from someone that you already know who might be using Superhuman. So to date, we have about 290,000 people wow. on the wait list for Superhuman. And we're working through that very diligently as fast as we can. And the best way to skip the line is to get a referral from someone who's already using Superhuman. Now, if you don't know anyone who's using Superhuman, do not fear. You can go to superhuman.com, sign up right there, and we'll survey you at that point. And if it looks like you're a good fit for Superhuman, then we could potentially accelerate you through the wait list at that point too. No, that, that's that's very cool. Um, so you've also run uh, your own angel fund and, and you've done a ton of investing yourself. Do you want to talk a bit about the types of companies that you've invested in and maybe give people some advice about actually getting investment? So as far as the investment fund goes and the core areas of investment, I would say obviously productivity, that's my wheelhouse. And especially those productivity companies that are inherently viral and which are software as a service. The superhuman itself would be a great example. And closely related to viral software as a service are what I would call business infrastructure companies. Now, these are often not used directly by end users, but they can become incredible companies. A great example of this would be one of my earliest angel investments, EasyPost. I invested really, really early before, for example, they went to Y Combinator, which is a well-known uh, accelerator or an incubator, if you will, over here in Silicon Valley. Uh, and now they're worth many hundreds of millions of dollars. And what they do is they have an API where if you're in the business of mailing physical goods to your customers, you can make it, you can do that rather super easily. And then in a few hours of integration, instead of the several weeks of integration that it would historically take to connect to the USPS. So these are really powerful businesses. And once they're integrated, they become incredibly steady. So I would say it's productivity, it's viral software as a service, and it's business infrastructure. Those are the core areas of investment for the fund. No, that, that makes a, a lot of sense. So I'm curious, though, do you invest in people just locally in kind of the, the Silicon Valley area? Are, are you doing outside of that? Or, or what geographic regions do you typically like to invest in? We're fairly agnostic when it comes to geographical location, and we've definitely made investments that aren't based here. So that, that really doesn't play into our consideration at all. I would actually say in certain cases, we consider it a positive. So as you probably know, the war for talent here in the Bay Area is particularly intense. It's very difficult and very expensive to grow a world-class team. And there is an advantage to founders who are starting with a distributed first mentality or who are located elsewhere where they may be more easily able to assemble a world-class team. Interesting. No, I 100% agree with you. I, I think it, it seems to me anyway that, you know, sometimes people either don't want to, can't for whatever reason, actually move to the Valley, right? And so there's a lot of innovation and really smart people that, are obviously outside of the valley and and so 
just there's there seems to be and it seems to be getting better that like this myth that if you're not in the valley you can't be successful and i i think in a lot of cases it's it's becoming not the opposite but you have just as much chance of being successful anywhere else especially in america or or north america and other parts of the world as you could be if you were just in the valley especially with the amount of remote work now that's happening and Maybe you have to go to the Valley a couple of times a year for meetings or investors or, or whatever, but you don't actually have to physically be in the Valley kind of every day of the year. And it sounds like you would agree with that. I couldn't agree more, 100%. What I would say, though, and this hasn't changed, I'm not sure if it ever will change, sure. is that the amount of capital here completely dwarfs the amount of capital anywhere else. The amount of venture capital that throws through Silicon Valley is more than the rest of the world. And so if you are planning to raise investments, then being here, and it's probably going to be more than a few days a year because you know, raising money is a time-consuming endeavor, right. then being here for the several months that it takes to do that is kind of necessary. I think okay. it's hard to avoid doing that. But there are many advantages to not being here, namely access to a much, a much wider pool of incredibly talented people and the ability to scale your company in a more cost-effective manner. No, yeah, no, that's that's actually really good advice. Is, is there any other advice that you like to give to entrepreneurs that maybe you wish you would have known earlier on in your career or, or any other advice that you would, would like to give our listeners? Funnily enough, this is actually advice that I received early in my career. I just nice. wasn't in the right headspace to process it. But I'll share it on air, and hopefully some of our listeners will receive and process. <laughs> so I remember early in the report of days, I sat down uh, with a well-known founder, James Lindenbaum. He was the CEO of Heroku right. at the time. Heroku had built the first on-demand Ruby on Rails platform. And Reportive was hot, like it was growing real fast, and he was excited to sit down and give me this advice. He said, you can either optimize for revenue and growth of revenue, or you can optimize for users and growth of users. But be really clear in your mind which one you're doing. Don't try and do both. That'll be really hard. And of course, I wasn't really clear which in my mind I was doing. And so as a team, we vacillated between the two. And we didn't end up doing either of the two particularly well. And looking back, his advice was so spot on. And that if only we had optimized for one or the other, that company would have done significantly better. Maybe we wouldn't have even sold to LinkedIn and it would have gone on to blossom and become its own thing. And so that is one thing that I would share with our listeners today, which is, be really clear on the strategy. And once you've chosen it, don't vacillate. Strategies take time, often many years, to come to fruition. No, man, I, I think that's actually really good advice. And, and to be honest, I've never really heard it like that. Like I've heard kind of different variations of, of that. But to be that kind of direct with it, like you need to pick kind of one or the other is actually... That's actually really good advice. And yeah, and I, I hope some of the other listeners, or if not all the listeners, you know, take that or, or really put some thought into that. But we're, we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself, Superhuman, 
and the investment fund? Absolutely. So to contact me, one of the best ways is Twitter or email, of course. On Twitter, I'm at my first name, last name. So that's R-A-H-U-L-V-O-H-R-A. And if you want to email me, it's Rahul, R-A-H-U-L, at superhuman.com. For folks who are interested in becoming Superhuman customers, like I said, the best way is to get a referral. But if you don't know someone who's using it right now, no matter, head over to superhuman.com and you can sign up right there. And lastly, if folks are interested in learning more about the Angel Fund, the best way is just to use Google. So you can type in my name and type in Angel Fund and you'll find everything you need to right there. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day, man. Likewise. Thanks so much, Kevin. Thanks very much. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.